Amen. Please be seated. I want to welcome everyone here today in our celebration service, those who are in our summit service. I was over there just a moment or two ago. And for all those who are watching us from home, uh, welcome to our worship service today. Uh, We have a very special guest that I've invited to come and preach today. I've been looking forward to this for some time. I want to introduce to you Ryan Burchett uh, and his wife of 10 years, Lindsay. Uh, Ryan is the pastor of Northside Baptist Church in Garland, Texas. Uh, He has an architecture degree from Texas Tech and a master of arts in Christian, I'm sorry, church ministries. I um, was given... Uh, One of the books that uh, Ryan has written, two books that he has written, I was given about a year ago, a book that he's written called Gospel Glasses. And I was so impressed with that book. Uh, There's one chapter in there, the whole book is about seeing the issues of the world through gospel lenses. And one of those chapters focused particularly on abortion. And uh, Ryan, you really addressed it from a a different point of view. And, and, And Ryan talked about how Jesus was was someone who took a strong stand, but at the same time showed kindness to, to Matthew, the tax collector and sinners. And, uh, and he talked about how we should have a, a gospel perspective on everything in the world. And I knew then that I wanted him to come and share with us. Uh, Ryan Burchett is also the son of Jim and Donna Burchett. And uh, many of you will know Donna is our financial secretary, been with us uh, about, a, about a year and a half or so, just doing a fantastic job. So let me lead us in a word of prayer, and Ryan's going to come and preach this morning. Father, we're saying so thankful. Uh, it's a Sunday. It's a day that, that we have set aside to come and, and celebrate the resurrected Savior. Uh, this is also Christmas season, a time that we celebrate the incarnation. And I'm thankful that you have brought us together at this time just to worship you, to focus on you, and Father, to hear a message from your word. And so prepare our hearts, speak through Ryan as he comes and just just teaches with the help of the Holy Spirit that you might be honored and that our lives might be changed. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Ryan, you come. Good morning, how are you guys doing? Good. Sometimes at my church, people don't have that kind of reaction. It's like, ugh. Is it, it's a really good morning. So I'm happy to be here. Um, it's been a year, hadn't it? And my wife and I are, uh, we've, we've enjoyed being here. I've been down here a week. Um, hadn't been able to be around family a whole lot this year, as I'm sure that's the same for a lot of you. And we got that chance, and all of it happened to work out to where I could come up and preach for you. And you're, I heard you're an intern. You're going to be all right. I enjoyed it. Um, so today, what I'm going to do is, I don't know if Dr. Deer's going to do this for you or not. Maybe he will, so you may get a, a double whammy of it. But pressing on into the new year, um, kind of our Christian charge as the church. What should we be doing? How can we as believers prepare for what's coming? Regardless, if 2021 is no different than 2020, which it may not be much different, or if 2021 is more positive. It doesn't really matter what's going on in our world, what's going on in our culture. We're the church and we're Christians and we're supposed to be salt and light no matter what's going on. And so that's going to be what we're going to talk about today and we're going to be in Jude. Now Jude, um, 
I kind of figured is very relevant for where we are today. Uh, in Jude's day, he was in a situation in the writing and everything when all that was taking place. At that point in the early church, all that was left to the early apostles was John. So all the leadership, you know, those core guys, those guys aren't there anymore. And churches are getting off the ground, but there's all these cultural things, cultural issues. There's all these pressures. You know, you Christians need to lighten up on what you're doing. You know, you can be a part of the Roman society, but you kind of have to blend in. And there was a lot of issues with that kind of stuff. And other things that were going on were false teachings were creeping into the church, just a lot like today. There were people who were businessmen, and they thought, hey, here's this new movement. These people are passionate about it. Let's bring in what we believe and kind of change their teachings and let's make some money off of it. You see any of that stuff on TV? So not much has changed. And so he was dealing with a lot of the same stuff that we deal with today. The two primary themes in Jude are he deals with false teachers and apostasy. False teachers, when we talk about that, we're talking about people that aren't necessarily uh, just ignorant. It's people that knowingly step in and teach false things that are against the, the Bible. we got plenty of those. Plenty of those all over the world and plenty of those here in this country. And they're growing. People are falling for their teaching. The other theme that he addresses is apostasy. And apostasy are people who once claimed to be believers, claimed to be a part of the church, and then they decide at some point in their life, I'm done, I don't believe this stuff, I'm walking away. Or go to something entirely different. Do we not face those things? Now, I don't just want to focus on false teachers and all that kind of stuff, but how it's also relevant for us today, you know, you've all been through the same year I have. Especially in our culture, this cultural stuff that's going on is creeping into our churches, and we're having a lot of distorted gospels being preached today. There's a lot of stuff being added to what we claim the gospel to be, what the Bible claims the gospel to be. There's a lot of stuff being taken away. And it's seeping in to our pulpits, our seminaries, and into our pews. If the church doesn't, you know, Dr. John MacArthur lays this out really well. There's, there's four major entities God set up to maintain some sort of order in this world. One of those things is the church. In our culture, let's face it, the last real thing that we have standing left is the church. And if the church falls, things are about to get a lot worse. So what I want to do is look at Jude. I want to see what he talks about here and what we can learn for us. This is a charge for you and for me personally. What do we need to do when we move on to this new year so that we can be ready regardless of what comes and we can be ready to stand for the truth because our culture needs it. Our churches need it. Let's take a look. Jude 1, 20-25. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, 
to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. And that's it. One of the major issues already kind of covered, but what they were facing was one thing that was growing called Gnosticism. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but one of the things with Gnosticism where there were these people walking around saying, you Christians say you have the the truth, but we actually have this other knowledge that God has given that you don't have and you need it. And even though we don't necessarily face Gnosticism directly today, we face Gnostic things. And if you watch the news and all that kind of stuff, you see there are things that people are telling the church you need to do and add and and be if you're going to be accepted here. And if you don't, we're going to have some issues. They were facing a lot of the same things. The first thing I want to do is we actually didn't read this. I'm going to give you a list, though, because we need to be aware of what false teachers and apostates look like. They are very good at what they do. Some of them are real easy to, to, to figure out. You turn on the TV and you got some guy saying, hey, if you'll just send in your, nine, your 99.99 to me and I'll give you a prayer cloth that supposedly the Apostle Paul cried on and it'll give you these blessings from God, I think you should know there's something wrong with that. But then there's other things that some of the most popular authors and pastors and churches in our society are way off. And it's like people don't even see it. What do you look for? I want to give you that first. If you go back, we just read verses 20 through 25. You go 4 through 19, so just before this, this is what he's talking about to give you context. This is what you look for. Is that a false teacher or not? I can't tell. Verse 4, they're ungodly. Well, that's kind of a no-brainer. Well, they're ungodly. Moving on, morally perverted. How many of these celebrity pastors have we seen recently? It seems like they're just piling up. They have this great fall. And usually it's something sexual. You start seeing this stuff. Be on the lookout. Verse 4 again, denial of the biblical Christ is something else you're going to see. They want to preach a different Jesus. I'll go ahead and tell you right now, Jesus was not a socialist. That's what you're hearing a lot today. Verse 8, they are dreamers. You look at the Greek word there, I don't know how many of you really care about that kind of stuff, but it's important here when it talks about dreamers, it's talking about guys that are, and women, who are delusional. They claim to have these extra visions and voices from God. How many of you have heard that kind of stuff? I hear from God on a regular basis. If you don't hear from God and the Word of God, you're not hearing from God. Verse 8, defile the flesh. Something else that marks their life. Immoral lifestyles. Verse 7, it's often sexual. Verse 8, they are rebellious. They rebel against the basic doctrines of the church. These rock star pastors. Verse 10, they are ignorant of biblical truth. You know, they'll see, they'll pridefully speak against some of the basic truths of the gospel, of the Bible and start teaching something else. Well, this isn't exactly what it says, or this isn't exactly what they meant. This is what they meant. Or no, that's for that time. This is for this time. Can't follow that stuff. Verse 10, they're corrupted. That means they're moral and spiritually headed towards self-destruction. Again, you look at celebrity pastors. How many falls have you seen? 
Verse 12 is good. Clouds without water. Lindsay and I, my wife, we used to live in West Texas in Lubbock, and out there especially, very dry. And farmers treasure any kind of cloud in the sky that may have some water. And how it describes these false teachers here, there are these people who are like clouds without water. They promise rain. They promise blessing. And then it doesn't show up. Big sign. Verse 16, you see they are grumblers and complainers. It's a lot like the people in the Exodus. They complain against God. What He had provided, the, the holy manna, uh, that stuff wasn't enough. That's how these people are. It's just not enough. I want more added to this. The gospel is not enough. I need more to it. They complain. Verse 16, they're self-seeking. They're arrogant and self-centered. You can... You can, there's a lot of guys that are really good on TV and, and have very big churches. It sounds like 99% of what they say is really good. And it makes me feel something. But if you listen close, they talk about themselves more than anybody else or anything else in their preaching. You start noticing someone talking about themselves and I and me a lot. Stop listening. Because this is not about me. This is about, I love what that says up there. This is about the way, the truth, and the life, and that's not any man. Be on the lookout. Verse 19, they are worldly-minded. Uh, verse 16, they're flatterers. They like to tell people what they want to hear to get profit from them. That's what you hear on TV. They are mockers. They joke about God's future plans. Really about judgment. Ah, judgment and hell, that stuff's not true. It's just talking about a garbage heap that was outside of the city of Jerusalem. Worldly-minded, verse 19. Verse 19, they cause division. They like to split churches and split people to form sides. And then finally, they are without the Spirit, and that may be the most dangerous thing of all. Everything they do, everything they preach is their own wisdom, their own knowledge, their own power. And they want you to buy in. You take that list, and that's not just bad preachers. That's also found in our society. And society is wanting to come in and change what we do and believe. So how do you combat this? This will be a little bit shorter. I'm sure you've heard Baptist preachers say that your whole life. But this will be a little bit shorter than the list I just gave you. So number one, if you're taking notes, how can we go on to the new year and be prepared for what's coming? I guarantee you with the way society's going, with the way all the election stuff's going, with the way culture is going, our faith is about to be tested more than it's ever been tested before. And if you are not prepared, you're going to get bulldozed. If you're a believer in here, how many of you want to on the final day to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Jesus is worth that. What do we do? Verse 20, we'll go right back. Build your faith. That's number one, build your faith. He says, but you, beloved, and the beloved are believers, so it's talking to you if you're a believer, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. First and foremost, like what you see in Revelation 3 with the Ephesian church, we can't leave your first love. We try to overcomplicate this faith. It's about Jesus and following Him first and foremost, Obeying His Word, and, and that's, the, that's, the, that's the life. Now, there's a lot of stuff that comes with that. 
There's temptations that Satan will throw at you. There's tests. There's struggles. There may even be some suffering. But you build upon the cornerstone. Anything else is like that parable with the builder of either the rock or the sand. What are you building upon? We've got to start with Christ and then the Bible has a convenient way of doing this. If we just read it enough, it'll tell us exactly what it means in most cases. Acts 20.32 tells us exactly what build your faith means. Let's look at it. You must be a studier and a follower of the Word of God. How many are like, man, he, Dr. Deere talked him up, he wrote a book and said all this great stuff, and these are the points he gives me? It's like basic stuff. It is. But how easy is it to forget the basic stuff? How do you build your faith? You study and obey the Word of God. It's, it's, it's simple. Acts 20.32, look at this. Now I commend you to God, so I'm, I'm trusting you in the hands of God, is what he was talking about, and to the Word of His grace, watch, which is able to build you up. Well, that was hard to find, wasn't it? If you, if you ever get frustrated in your Christian walk and, and you got people that you look at in the church or whatever and you're like, I want to be faithful like them. I want to have a connection with God and I want to have this walk with Jesus like they do, but I just can't do it. This is how you do it. So number one question that I want to leave with you, what is your Bible study life like? The average American household, it's ridiculous, has on average four to five Bibles in it. And yet less than 50% of those households who have those Bibles ever read them. The question I have to ask when I hear that, do we really believe this is the Word of God or not? Because if Jesus was sitting right next to you, I guarantee you, you'd be all in, 100% focused, and listening to what He had to say. But I don't think we always believe that that's what the Bible is. This is how you build your faith, Bible study. How's your Bible study? Number two, how am I going to build my faith, prepare myself for the new year? Verse 20, pray regularly. There's another wowser of a point, huh? Yeah, pray regularly. I struggle with this. But look, praying in the Holy Spirit, you notice praying, it's an action and it's ongoing. Praying in the Holy Spirit and in the Holy Spirit, that's the other part. So what that means is I'm praying according to the will of God. I'm praying according to the will of God. No matter what I'm praying and what I'm seeking and what I'm needing and what I'm wanting, I gotta be sure not in my special prayer life where I'm, you know, I'm praying for someone to be healed of cancer or something like that, but in my regular daily prayer life. I need to be all about the will of God and what He wants. Have you ever studied the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6? You ever take a look at that? If you just look at it, you know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, you know, all that. Do you notice there's not one wish list item in there? For us? How many of us, that's our prayer life? I'm guilty of that. I want to immediately get to what I want God to do for me or what I need. When Jesus gave the model prayer, this, he was showing the disciples, this is what your regular, 
habitual prayer life should look like. Not necessarily for the special stuff or the big stuff, but just your regular prayer life needs to look like this. And it's all about seeking the will of God and God's kingdom being, you know, His will being done here. And the only thing that you see that we ask for is, Lord, keep me from temptation and forgive me where I've failed you. There's nothing in there about what I want and what I need. How many of you, that's what your prayer life looks like? If I'm going to be prepared for what's coming, if I want to walk with the Lord, I've got to build my faith and pray regularly in the Holy Spirit according to the will of God. How does that look for you? Number three, you ready for this? This is a big one. Obey the word. Jude got right to the point. Verse 21, so after the things he just said, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep is an action. And the Greek word, the Greek phrase there, after what he's been talking about already is, is stay devoted to Christ. You cannot stay devoted to Christ unless you are spending time with Him. And how do you spend time with Him? The Word and prayer. Prayer is where I get to talk to Him. The Word, Bible study, is where He talks to me. I see a lot of people that are married in here, or at least you're sitting with somebody that's, that looks like they might like you. <laughs> How would that relationship go if all I ever did was I was the one talking? They wouldn't be too happy, would they? Or how would the relationship go if all I ever did was listen and I never got to say anything? So why do we treat our Christian lives different? Be devoted. Stay devoted to Christ. You know... He makes it clear, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So if you ever have those moments, especially in a year like this, where it feels like God has walked away, Jesus has left, I feel empty, my prayers hit the ceiling, when I read the Bible, I don't get anything out of it, all this kind of stuff, it's because you've walked away. It's not because of Him. How do I get back these things we're talking about today? I press on in the faith. I keep in the Word, I obey it and apply it, and I pray regularly, seeking His will, not mine. And then I obey what He tells me. A couple questions. Do you obey the Word of God in your life? Here's a good one. What will you do with this message today? How many of you, five minutes, you're out the door, you're ready for lunch, and I forgot what the preacher talked about? I haven't. I'm a preacher. But what are you going to do with this today? What are you going to do next week when your pastor preaches? And most importantly, what are you going to do when you go home? How's your, again, how's your regular Bible reading? Number four. I'm glad the songs were chosen. I mean, they didn't have anything, to, they didn't know what I was preaching, so it's really cool how it worked out. But look ahead how you can press on in your faith is also remember to look ahead to what's coming in your real future. Look ahead. Verse 21, when your 
reading the word, when you're obeying it, when you're praying regularly, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. What is that talking about? You're looking ahead to the future hope and glory that you will one day experience. If you don't, how often do you think of heaven? I'll tell you, I've preached in, in several different churches. I've pastored two. The older you get, the easier it is to start thinking about that more regularly. The younger you are, the more difficult it is to think about the future. You're more worried about right now. We're told in several places that you build up encouragement in yourself and among the people around you by looking ahead to what really matters and what's coming. So you know what? Even if COVID morphs and mutates and gets worse, and that's how it is the rest of our lives until we die, we should all still have hope. Because I'm not going to, it's not going to end for me in a COVID world. I'm going to be in the kingdom of God. Looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, look ahead. I don't know how many of you have been a Baptist your whole life or how long you've been a Baptist, but I guarantee you, if you've been in a Baptist church long enough, you've heard those sermons where the pastor will preach something like this about the future and then he'll say something like, oh, it could happen today. How many of y'all heard that? It could happen today. It could happen tomorrow. It could happen five minutes from now. And then here you are 30, 40, 50 years later and it still hadn't happened and the preacher's still preaching the same thing. If we're honest, it's easy to get a little cold to the future because we've all been waiting. That's what they faced, as a matter of fact. You read in the New Testament, they had people coming in. You read in 1 Peter, the churches faced the same stuff. Your Jesus said that he would come back and here you are 10, 20, 30 years down the road and your king still ain't back. Your faith is all a joke. It's easy to get depressed when you don't believe there's anything else coming. Or encouraged to look forward to the future. Look forward to the future glory. Do you know, Christian, what's coming for you in the future? How many of you are sick and tired of anything of this body? You're looking forward to a new body that's glorified, that's going to be like the body of Christ, that will not age or get tired or get sick, will ever experience evil or sin, will never die again? I expect in a Baptist church some amen from somewhere. And not just that, you get to be in the presence of Almighty King Jesus for eternity. We encourage ourselves with this. I know I'm long-winded, but I want to give you this illustration anyway. I don't have it written down, but I'm going to because it's cool. This is, this is what's going on while we're waiting. If you're familiar with the Jewish wedding ceremony and how all that works, it's really neat. Jesus is doing the exact same thing. What you have is you'll have families who will come together and it'll be prearranged. So you'll have a bride and a groom and everything will already be prearranged by the parents. And then there'll be a payment set forth to kind of contractually guarantee that the marriage will happen. And then after that payment, the husband will go away for a year. He'll leave the wife there. And he'll leave for a year to do what? to establish himself and prepare a home to bring her to, to start a family. 
And it gets even cooler than that. After the year is over, do you know what the groom does? He comes back to town to get his bride, and his best men will blow trumpets at his arrival. And then as he enters into town, they announce the groom is here. He comes to get the bride. Uh, they, they come together in the official wedding ceremony, and then he takes her away for the rest of their lives. that sound familiar? Jesus paid the price on the cross to purchase his bride. He's done that. He's left. He's preparing a place for us. And when he's done, he will come back to take us away. Encourage yourself with this. Number five, verses 22 and 23, witness. Ooh, that's that ugly word that makes everybody shiver. Ooh, evangelism. Oh, witnessing makes me nervous. Verse 22 and 23, on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Remember, he's talking about dealing with people who are in apostasy, who are doubting, who have left, and the false teachers. We need to be witnesses, and there's two groups that are specified here in how you deal with them. Take a look. On some have compassion, making a distinction. And what he's talking about here is there's a certain group of people where you approach them with grace and patience. There are people that aren't necessarily all in apostate, but they're just not sure. They're on the fence. They're doubting. Maybe just out of ignorance, they got pulled away by a false teacher, and that's what they think the truth is. With people like that that you know, you go after them in love and grace and compassion, but you go after them and try to bring them back to the gospel truth. But then notice the other side. Others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. There are other people, and the image here is like this. You treat other people with aggression. We can't do that in 2020. That's intolerant. That's mean. You might hurt someone's feelings. Are you worried about hurting? Look at the image he uses. Are you concerned about hurting someone's feelings when they're in a burning building? Excuse me, sir, your, uh, your, your house is on fire and I don't want to disturb you, but would you mind following me gently out the door? What are you going to do? You're going to bust the door down. You're going to try to drag them out if you can, kicking and screaming, whether they realize it or not. You're going to get them out of there and save their life. Some people, you've got to do that. And the culture doesn't like that. But guess what? You know what the end result is if they don't repent and believe in Jesus Christ. With some, be aggressive. Pulling them out of the fire. I guarantee you this. Because statistically speaking, most Christians do not witness. That's the main problem in our society. People aren't telling people about Jesus, and that's plain and simple. I guarantee you, if you take this up, this spiritual discipline of just trying to witness to somebody next year, that fire, that passion, that willingness to follow Jesus, that walk with the Lord that you want, it will happen. I guarantee it. Do you know why? Because that's the one marching order He gave us. 
And most of us, our Christian lives are so, so blah. Because we don't do the one thing He told us to do. Parents, can I get an amen with your kids? They just do the one thing I told them, you know. It's the same with us. If you'll witness, you'll get that fire, I promise you. Last one, number six, really simple, really short. Above all else, remember your salvation. Remember, if you're a believer, remember, if you've repented and trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, remember you were saved. Me and Dr. Deere were talking in the office about how difficult this year has been, and it's been very difficult for pastors. I'm in the Dallas Metroplex area. There's pastors not only quitting, but committing suicide. One way that you get through stuff like this, regardless of what it is, whether it's a COVID year, whether it's political unrest, a bad diagnosis, lost my job, whatever, remember your salvation. What was that song we just sang? I'm a child of God. So no matter what happens, I will always be in His family because Jesus guarantees it and I will get to live with Him. What do I have to be down about? Last verses, 24 and 25, then I'll close. Look who gets the credit for all this in the end. It's not me, it's not you. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling, you cannot lose your salvation. You cannot even walk or fall out of it. Amen? Christians, you ever feel like that? Even pastors feel like that. Or you feel like, today I just don't feel saved. I think I need to pray again to feel saved. I need to go on this mission trip to feel like I'm really saved. I'm just not sure. If you genuinely repented and trusted Christ, you will never stumble out of it, no matter how you feel. Why? Not because of you, but because of how great and powerful He is. Let's go on. He's not only able to keep you from stumbling, He's also able to present you faultless. How many of you still sin? Don't be lying because you're sinning right now. We all still sin, but guess what? The glorious thing of the gospel is on that day of judgment, Jesus, because He's my Savior, even though I've sinned after I got saved, will present me faultless. As a kid, I always worried about judgment day. I kind of thought it would be like this. And I'd be standing here before God and there'd be a big projector and everybody else waiting in line to get judged was watching the screen. And then God would go over all my sins in front of me and ask me why I did it and all you get to watch. I was petrified of Judgment Day. And then I read the Bible some and there's not going to be no projector screen for a Christian. There's not going to be no list where he says, why did you fail me here? in 2020 on December or whatever today's date is, the 27th? There'll be none of that. You know why? Because you're presented faultless. It's washed away. Man, that's encouraging. So He's going to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. He's going to be happy and proud to present you. If you never received any thanks or praise from anybody in your entire life, on that day, Jesus will praise you before His Father. If no one's ever been proud of you, 
He will be proud of you on that day. You see how that builds up joy? COVID, whatever. I got the king on my side and he's going to present me faultless. And he's going to be proud. I'm going to make myself emotional. And look, he gets the credit. Who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. And the Greek word there, amen, so be it. It's done. Just to recap, then I'll close. I know I'm a Baptist preacher. I've said I'll close five times now. But you're lucky because at my church, I say it 15 to 20. Last time. To be ready for the new year, no matter what comes, build your faith. That involves the Word of God. Be in regular prayer, seeking His will. Obey the Word. Look ahead. And in looking ahead, remember your salvation. And witness. Who can you tell about Jesus this year? There are a lot of people who need Him. I'm going to pray for you. I want to thank you for spending this time with me in the, the Word of God. Let's pray. And if you're a Christian today, let's get to work this next year. Let's be the light that our culture desperately needs. Father, I want to thank you for this part of your Word that you preserved for us and chose to include. I pray, Lord, that the charge has been clear and that we would be ready. Father, whether, whether we have big circles of influence or whether we have just a handful of people, I pray that we would be the light and the salt. We would be sharing the gospel. We'd be witnesses as we go into this new year and share the hope that we have in Jesus with others. I pray, Lord, for myself that I would have a better passion for the lost because I don't always have the best passion or concern for them. Father, I pray also that as we move into this new year, everybody's been hit differently, but we've all been hit. I pray that we would be encouraged as believers and as the church. I pray that we would commit to reading our Bibles getting closer to you and what you've told us and, and obeying that. I pray that you would help us to be more God-centered in our praying and less me-centered. I pray that you'd help us to pray regularly. Father, I pray that you help us to remember to look ahead, to remember what you've already purchased, what you're preparing for us, and that we would move forward and press on in the faith, knowing what the prize is at the end. And finally, Lord, help us to remember our salvation. Help us to remember no matter what, if we're a believer, we are a child of yours. And your love, your compassion, your grace will never fail. You'll never leave us or forsake us. I pray for First Baptist Nacogdoches. I pray that you lead their people as they try to navigate this very strange year as it comes to a close and try to figure out what's next for their lives in the upcoming year. And I, I pray that they would take today's message to heart from Jude that they'd be willing to follow you to the very end. I pray also for Dr. Uh, for Dr. Deer as he pastors them. Pastoring's a tough job. And I pray that you'd strengthen him, give him wisdom, lead him and his ministry team as they go forward. 
Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.